Pastors here, for those of you who don't know who I am, it's my privilege to preach the word this morning. I might want to turn that off. Um, and get into the gospel together this morning uh, and feast our souls on the goodness of Jesus Christ. We're going to be in Ephesians 4 this morning, so if you could just go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read the verse before our text and the verses directly after our text this morning to give us a little bit of context. So we're going to start in verse 30 of chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. The Holy Spirit says this to us through the Apostle Paul. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Christians, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's go to the Lord together. Lord, we come to you this morning just overwhelmed by your goodness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. How undeserving we are of your grace and of your mercy toward us and your Son. I pray that you would do surgery on our hearts and on our minds this morning with your gospel hands that you would help us to see things the way that you see them that you would help us to see other people the way that you see them we pray for your grace and for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us that each one of us, as your children, as members of this congregation, could be more and more like Jesus Christ, that we would reflect his image more clearly. Lord, I pray for myself that you would deliver me from the fear of man and that we would be able to 
see Jesus clearly this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I were going to sum up kind of the main idea of, the, of our text this morning, it would be something this simple. It would be Christian, glorify God in forgiving one another. And this is the declaration. This is not saying Christians glorify God in forgiving one another. This is an imperative. This is a command. Christians glorify God in forgiving one another. And as we go into the text this morning, you know, I know we talk about forgiveness often in the church, and I know it's something that some of us might uh, feel like we can just brush off because we've been there and done that. But I just want to remind each and every one of us that we all have uh, spiritual amnesia. Do we not? Spiritual amnesia. Where we can hear something, we can say something, we can even know something and profess to believe something, and within a matter of minutes, completely forget what our hearts were dwelling upon completely forget what we were just believing and professing 30 minutes ago. Anyone ever had that experience in your life? Happens all the time. As a Christian, we love the truth. We love to sing praises to God. So we come to church. We, we lift up the name of Christ and we're all encouraged by that. We're all uh, exhorted by that. We're all comforted by that, by hearing each other's voices, singing praises to the one person that deserves to hear our praises. Amen? And as we do that, we're lifted up and we're encouraged. And we're reminded of these timeless truths about the greatness of God and about the greatness of the Gospel and the, and the magnitude of the grace of God toward us in Christ. All these things. And what can happen as we walk out the church doors within 30 minutes something punches us in the mouth, right? And everything we were just singing 30 minutes ago, everything that we were just dwelling upon uh, within, the, within the sermon, within the text, it's gone, right? We, it's like we forget it. Spiritual amnesia. In the famous words of the great theologian Mike Tyson, Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And so as we go into this text, I want to call our attention to Peter when he says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and though you are established in them, and in the truth that you have, you are established in those things. Peter says, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, Peter's talking to the church that's been the part of the dispersia, right? They were dispersed, the persecuted Jewish Christian. And he's saying, look, I know I'm getting ready to leave this body. I'm getting ready to die. I know that. And so as long as I'm alive... I'm going to keep reminding you of these things. I'm going to keep reminding you of these things. I'm going to keep reminding you of these things. 
And part of our job at the church, part of our job as elders of this church, part, part of our ministry, actually a majority of our ministry, is to simply keep reminding you of these things. And Peter says, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So as we go to this text, let's just keep that in mind. I also want to take a few minutes and just talk about this fact that every single person, every single person on the face of the planet Earth is a walking theologian. It is important for us to understand that. Every person is a theologian. Every single human being is a theologian. The question is whether we are good theologians or we are bad theologians. The question is, do we have good theology or do we have bad theology? Because every one of us is walking around day by day, week after week, living our lives in a certain way based on what we believe about God. Based on what we believe to be true about who God is, about what He is like, about who Christ is, about what He is like, assumptions and beliefs about what the Gospel is, about who we are. And the question is, do we know the truth about those things? Or do we believe lies about those things? So, another area to think about on the street-level theology is we have doctrinal theology and we have functional theology. And here's what, here's what I mean by that. It is easy for us to come to church and be filled with truth about who God is. So we may be able to, for example, give a pop quiz about the nature of God. Is God omnipotent? Yes. Is God omniscient? Yes, He knows all things. Is God all-powerful? Yes, He is. Is God good? Yes. Is God gracious? Yes. Is God merciful? Yes. Is God just? Yes, He is. And we can all give the right answers to those questions. The question then becomes, when we get hit in the mouth, is God good? Is God gracious? Is God perfect in all of His attributes? Is God sovereign over every single circumstance of my life right this second? And so the challenge for each believer, and part of what I seek to do as I teach and counsel people, is to help take, we, all, we have good theology, good doctrinal theology, to help us take our functional theology and line it up with our doctrinal theology. 
Does that make sense? And that's what we want to do this morning. And so I want to take a couple seconds just to think through the doctrine of anthropology, guys. That is the doctrine of man. What does the Scripture teach about human beings? What do we believe both doctrinally and functionally, we're going to get into that in a second, about the nature of human beings? What do we believe about ourselves as a human being? See, bad doctrine goes something like this. And this is taught day in and day out in our culture. Bad doctrine says this. Man is basically good. Man is basically good, and most of the problems that come into our lives are basically the result of external forces and external circumstances working themselves out in us. I'm basically good. The problems of life are out there. And those are the things to blame for the, basically the circumstances of my life at this very moment. And because in this theology, because we are basically good, and because we basically have a good nature, the solution to our problems, the solution to handling problems that come from outside of us is to look deep inside of us. To find the strength in us. To find the solutions to our problems deep in ourselves. The cultural mantra is listen to your heart. Look into your heart. What does your heart say? And that is what you should do. Now, here's the thing. I would give you biblical references for this theology. The problem is there isn't one. Right? I cannot take you to one text in all of the Bible that would in any way, shape, or form support that idea of the nature of human beings. And not just human beings out there. You. And me. Good doctrine says this. Biblical teaching says this about the nature of man. That all men alike are under sin. And that we as human beings are totally depraved. Now that doesn't mean we're as evil as we could be. What that means is that every single aspect of who we are as human beings our, our intellect, our emotion, our, our wills, our desires, all these things, every single part of who we are has been touched and affected and corrupted by sin. All of us. Turn with me to uh, Romans 7 real quick. And I just want to read a couple verses out of Romans 7. In verse 21, Paul says this about himself as a Christian. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Anyone ever experienced that? 
When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For in my heart, I delight, I delight in the law of God. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see my members, in my members, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. This is Paul's uh, observation of himself. Guys, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. The law of sin is waging war against the law of my mind that, is, that dwells in my members. And this is what he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I, I, I want to take a few minutes and just do a little introspection. Do you believe this to be true about you? Is Romans 7, 21 through 24 describing you? And here's the reality. When we put on our doctrinal lenses especially here at Gray Road where we talk about the gospel and the, na- the nature of man and, and the, the realities of what Christ has done and that we bring no righteousness to Jesus. We talk about this stuff all the time. We can all say, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Romans seven twenty one through 24 is describing my condition. But, but, here's the question. What about functionally? How does our functional theology, the way we actually live in life, and the way that we actually believe and think and talk and process information, process other people's sins against us, process our sins against other people, how does that actually play out in the heart and in the mind of the believer? This becomes the challenge. How do we get the heart, our heart, to functionally respond to the truth of doctrine, to the truth that we know to be true. So here's what happens when we don't rehearse the truth. Our, our basic view of ourselves is that we're basically good, and we assume that we have good intention, and we assume that we are pretty much right in most situations. And then this self-righteousness that can creep in spills over into our expectations for everyone else. If I'm someone that sees myself as basically a pretty good person and as basically kind of got myself together and as basically, well, everyone else should basically be about basically as good as I am, what happens in reality, in life? Like what actually happens in in the grounds of, of relationships? Well, we put those expectations on other people, those Other people, without fail, are going to fail to meet those personal expectations that we have for them because guess what? They're sinners. 
And our, as a result of letting that kind of that kind of thinking slip into our minds and hearts, that unbiblical view of human being, our relationship with other human beings become conditional. They become conditional upon the premise that, that you keep the certain expectations that I have for you because I'm basically keeping them. You guys see what I'm doing here? Is this true? Is that kind of thinking true? No, it's not. So let's look at Ephesians 4. Starting in verse 31. Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Guys, look at the text. This is a text that Paul is writing to the church. He, he just got done talking about the unity of believers. <laughs> he just got done talking about our unity in the Spirit. He just got done talking about the gifts that God's given to the church and pastors and elders and teachers and evangelists and all these different offices. And now, he just comes right out and says, let all bitterness. Notice there's not even the word if in that sentence. There's no like, you know, if someone in the church sins against you, let all bitterness wrath and anger depart from you. You see that? You see that there's an assumption made in this verse? The, the, the operating assumption in Paul's mind is that if you're part of a church, if you're part of a local body of believers, and you guys actually do some life together, you're going to be sinned again. Ladies and gentlemen, I can make a promise to you, and those of you who have spent a lot of time with me know this to be true, that if you spend enough time with me, if you spend enough time with me, I will sin against you. You will see me sin against my wife. You will see me sin against my children. It will happen. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, I'm not the Apostle Paul or anything, but I'm reading what he said. I'm pretty sure that if I come to your house and I spend enough time with you, you're going to sin against me. And you're going to fail me in some way. And, and I'm going to watch you sin against your spouse. And I'm going to watch you sin against your children. Right? The assumption, the, the assumption in the text, there is no if. The, the assumption is, okay, we're all going to sin against each other because we're doing life together. That, that's just what happens. Because we're all, by nature, sinners. Born dead in our sin. By nature, children of wrath. 
And even as Christians, when God, by His grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, calls us to Himself, raises us to a new life in Christ, gives us His Holy Spirit to walk in the power of the Spirit, we're still, according to Romans 7, waging war against the members of our flesh. Brothers and sisters, what is your expectation for the people in this room? You know, four years ago, I was an elder, still an elder here at the church, and I went through what really became like the darkest time of my life. And many of you are aware of this time of my life. Many of you know it. And I was thinking sinfully. My, my emotions were wrong. My desires were wrong. My I was off base. I don't know what else to say. That it was, I was just all, I was completely off kilter. I wasn't believing the things that I should believe. I wasn't loving the things that I should love. And, and I was honest with many of you. Many of you helped me walk through this. And I've experienced this. I've experienced this forgiveness, this this grace and compassion as they looked at me as a fallen human being. Unable to be perfect. What, what is your expectation for your brothers and sisters in this building? Just look around the room. Every single human being in this room is fallen. Every single human being in this room has been corrupted by the power of sin. Every single human being in this room, if they are born again by the power of God, is in the middle of a war. Every single person in the middle of a war they have the Spirit speaking truth to them. They have the Scripture speaking truth to them. They have pastors and elders and teachers and shepherds speaking truth to them. They delight in the law of God just like you do, brother and sister. Yet they still have the flesh waging war against this truth that they know to be true. Just like you. So, believer, let all bitterness, bitterness, what's taking place in the heart, bitterness, a state of resentment, a desire to think about and treat someone according to evil. Let wrath 
passion, passionate anger and heat. It's the idea of, of just anger boiling up inside of you. It's like anger that boils up and then cools down and boils up and cools down. That's the picture of this word. That we're hanging on to the evil done against us and it just produces in us this wrath that just boils up inside of us. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, the settled indignation, like we have just set in our mind that we are going to be hostile toward this person. Clamor. This is the idea of outburst of anger. This is the result of bitterness and wrath and anger building up and being stored up in the human heart. It turns into clamor when we just cry out and scream out against people who have sinned against us. And slander, where we go to other people and we abuse the people who have sinned against us and we profane their name, uh, the, 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 the people who have sinned against us, we profane their name to other people. Paul says, let all of these things be put away from you. Brothers and sisters, this this is a body of believers. This is a family. We have been brought together into the body of Christ by the power of the Spirit. And we are going to sin against each other. If we do life together, we're going to sin against each other. And Paul's saying, listen, you've got to let all anger, you've got to let all bitterness, you've got to let all wrath, all clamor, and all slander be put away from you. Because if you allow it to take root in your church, if you allow it to take, take root and take place amongst your membership, you will be destroyed. The only, brothers and sisters, we know this to be true, the only path to legitimate unity in the body of Christ is the road of forgiveness. That's the only way we can stay together. Paul also says, put away malice from you. This is the idea of ill will, the desire to injure. Wickedness, this anger and malice that moves us to the point of physical aggression. Violence against other people. Is there bitterness in your heart right now? Is there someone here in this room this morning that when you think of them, 
little animosity builds up inside of you. A little irritability. You see this word at the beginning of uh, verse 31, it says, let all. In the Greek language, that's called a hortatory subjunctive. It's not a suggestion. It's actually an imperative. It is a commandment. And in the Greek language, it, they use this word let all to, to do a first-person commandment. So it's a way of Paul commanding you to do something while he's commanding himself to do it. We have no way to do this in the English language. Okay? But that's what this let all means. And anytime you read the New Testament and you see like a let us, let us do this, or let us do that, it's a hortatory subjunctive. It is a Greek commandment that includes the person writing the commandment. If you are sitting in this room this morning and you have animosity in your heart toward a brother or sister in this room this morning, you are walking in disobedience to God. You are walking in disobedience to God in detriment to yourself and in detriment to this body. And brother and sister, I say this in love, you have a responsibility before God to go and make these things right. But what does Paul say? He says instead, instead of the bitterness, the wrath, the anger, the clander, the, the, the slander, the clamor, and the, the malice, instead of that, put on these things. Put on kindness. Put on kindness. It's a, it's a spirit of benevolence toward other people. Helpfulness toward other people. Courteousness toward other people. And then he says, be tender-hearted. Be tender-hearted toward one another. You know, the best, the best I can think of to, to, to just kind of picture this is the idea of how a mother is with her children. Because that mother loves her child in a way that, you know, do you all know what I'm talking about? Mom loves her babies in, in, in a way that is just special. And a mother just naturally, just by, by the way God has made them, a mother has a tender-heartedness toward her children. And as a result of that tender-heartedness, right? When we look at our little kids, I wake up every morning as a father thinking, knowing, right, moms and dads? Knowing that my kids are going to sin against me that day. Huh? There's going to be times when they don't want to do what I say and they're going to grumble and complain. There's going to be times when they kick and scream. There's going to be times when they say no. 
There are going to be times when they get mad when I discipline them. They're, they're just over and over and over again, every single day, knowing that that's going to happen. Anyone have that experience, parent? Or is it just me? Just me? Okay. So, we, the, we know this to be true. We know our children are going to sin against us, but because we have a tender heart toward them, we already know before the sin happens that we're going to forgive them and we're going to let love cover that sin, don't we? Ladies and gentlemen, you know what I'm saying is true. And what Paul is saying is just like a mother is tender hearted toward her children, be like that with each other. Be like that with each other. Forgiving one another. This is a willingness to pardon the repentant, guilty person for moral liability and to work toward reconciliation. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And ladies and gentlemen, forgiveness is expensive. Toby talked about that this morning during communion. Forgiveness is expensive. That is why Jesus termed forgiveness in, in the story of the talent. Because it has a cost. It has a legitimate cost. If I loan you a million dollars and you are unable to repay me the million dollars and I forgive you that debt of a million dollars, what just happened there? It just cost me a million dollars. Jesus frames it that way in, in Matthew. You've been forgiven a hundred denarii. You've been forgiven 10,000 talents, he says. And you won't forgive this man a hundred denarii. Let's take a few minutes and look at the end of verse 32. And Paul says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We've got a few minutes left here. I, I, I made a kind of a picture that helps me as I think about sanctification. I don't even know where this picture came from. It may have come from a biblical counseling conference. Um, I don't know. You guys have it up there? Yeah, the, the gospel fountain. Okay. Go ahead and put that picture up there. I don't know if it's going to come up or not. But just imagine, if you have your paper, just imagine that you have a, a triangle. And you can actually take a pencil and draw this. Draw a shape like this on, on a piece of paper, on the back of a piece of paper. Draw a shape just like that. After you draw that shape, on the top line, write God and His holiness. 
On the top line, write God and His holiness. And on the bottom line, so on the top line, you've got God and His holiness, and on the bottom line, you've got man and his sin. And in between those two lines, I want you to, uh, in the small part, I want you to draw a tiny little cross. Okay? Draw a tiny little cross. And in the middle, we're starting to get a little bit bigger. I want you to draw a medium-sized cross. And then as it expands out, I want you to draw a bigger cross. That picture's not coming up, is it? Okay. Um, this is what happens in a human heart. As we come to a place where we recognize the holiness of God and the holiness of God grows and His glory grows and His perfection grows and His righteousness grows, our sinfulness becomes greater. Right? That's what happens. Our sinfulness becomes more and more apparent. We recognize more and more how sinful we really are. We recognize more and more how desperately in need of forgiveness we really are. And as we take a more and more biblical... Hey, look at that. As we take... Great job, Mark. As we take a more and more biblical view of human beings, human beings become lower and lower and lower, don't they? Mature believers. Is that right? The more you understand the nature of human beings, human beings, we're way down here. And the more we recognize in Scripture the glory of God, the greater God gives. And the chasm, here's the point, the chasm between the sinner and a holy God grows. You see that? You see that? And as the chasm grows, the cross gets bigger. You guys see the picture I'm trying to make here? As the chasm between sinful human beings and a holy God grows, the cross gets bigger. And the people who are down here, the people who are down here at the bottom and recognize and who honestly evaluate themselves recognize the depth of their sin and at the same time recognize the perfect glory and righteousness and holiness of God, the cross becomes enormous. It becomes nothing but the cross. The cross at that point is all that matters. And it's those people, as the cross gets bigger, as the cross gets amplified, that's the point. The, the importance of the cross, the necessity of the cross gets amplified more and more and more. This is what happens to the people. Their worship grows. Do you know the, the more important the cross becomes, the bigger the cross becomes, the more amplified the cross becomes, the deeper our worship becomes? The deeper our gratitude to God becomes? the greater awareness of the total emptiness in myself becomes that there is nothing in this 
jar of broken clay that would justify being made right before a holy God? And that at the end of the day, all that matters, the only thing that matters is the cross of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's people who are right there. There's people who, who live on the right side of that spectrum that can forgive. It's the people that hang out on the right end of that picture that have the capacity in their heart to forgive freely. And to love freely. You know, I was thinking this morning just about our nature. And the scripture commands that whether we eat or whether we drink or whatsoever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. That is a commandment. Let's take a moment and just think honestly about our morning this morning. When you woke up. When you ate breakfast. When you got ready for church. Well, what was our motivation in that moment? At that very moment, I'm doing this for the glory of God. I'm doing this for the glory of God. I'm doing this for the glory of God. It reminds me of a song that I learned here recently called Jesus, Your Mercy. And one of the lines in the song is, the best of my works, the very best of my works pierced your hands and your feet. Not the worst, the best. The best work that I can personally conjure up pierced your hands and your feet. You know, when we understand the gospel like this, it allows us as human beings to confess our sins to one another. You know, you don't have to be perfect. You and I don't have to be perfect. And when you sin in relationships with other people, you can own that sin and go to that person and confess your sin to them and say, I sinned against you and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Parents, I believe that's one of the most important things that you could do for your children is to throw away your self-righteousness before your kids. Let them know that you recognize when you sinned against them and that it was horrible and that it was sinful and it shouldn't have happened. And it's just another example, son or daughter, why I need the cross of Jesus Christ. And you do too.
One other thing I wanted to say before I close morning is that I know, I know there are people in this room who've been hurt badly. I know it. You've been hurt really bad. And I'm sure that for some of you, just even some of the the exhortations out of this text were hard to hear. And you've experienced heartache in a way that most people haven't experienced heartache. And you've experienced betrayal in ways that most people haven't experienced betrayal. I know that that's true for some of you in here. And I just want to say to you that maybe not everyone in here has experienced betrayal to the level that you've experienced betrayal. And maybe not everyone in this room has experienced heartache in the way that you've experienced heartache in this life. But I can tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ has. He was betrayed by everyone. And he was deserted by everyone in his life. And while he was being crucified for people that despised him, our Savior looked to the heavens and said, Father, forgive them. And this I can promise you is that if you can worship, if you can come to a place in your heart and in your life where you can worship that Savior, He will grant you the grace to forgive. He will. Let's just commit, brothers and sisters, to loving each other and forgiving one another. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning recognizing um, very clearly our need for forgiveness and our need for grace. And we pray for your spirit to empower us and to enable us to love and forgive others the way that you have loved and forgiven us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.